0: does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year 100,000-mile powertrain
1: warranty and a 30-day 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all.
0: It is one o'clock on a Friday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. Eddie Garrison flies the controls for us. It is Quarry & Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, and we get set for AFC and NFC Championship Weekend. Joining us now, you hear him in the mornings on this radio station, along with Andy Sweeney for the wake-up call with KB and Andy. The KB stands for Kevin Bowen, who joins us on the show. And uh, Kevin, I'll begin with this. I I had just mentioned, and I simply want to give you as somebody who is probably the Colts' assigned beat writer, if you will, for this station – um when the Indianapolis star yesterday released the Jim Mercsey 911 call, I had heard it elsewhere I think different media outlets are getting access to that from depending on when they had requested said audio at different intervals so it's been out there for a couple of different places truth be told over the last couple of days and I simply was saying Kevin I don't know if you heard it you know I I truly did feel bad for Pete Ward because. In that situation, we're talking about someone who is a very kind man, but not only his boss, professionally speaking, having to go and assist in that situation, but somebody that's a friend of his, obviously, over the years as well. And that was the thing that I took away from it. I I know that all of us are aware of the situation with Jim Irsay and hoping for the best. But until that there is confirmed concrete updates on him, I simply think the most responsible thing to do is to say that, yes, we are aware of the different innuendos, but that the Colts still their latest update is that he is still dealing with a respiratory infection and that your thoughts are with all of it. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add to that, but being somebody that covers the franchise, I thought I'd give you the opportunity.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I pretty much agree with pretty much with everything you said. I guess right there. Um, I mean, the call was. I mean, it's certainly eerie to hear Pete's voice, and you know, Pete is a very calm individual to begin with. Um, You know, I was struck by how calm he was throughout. You know, all eight minutes, nine minutes of the call. Um, You know, obviously the fact that he's having to leave his residence at whatever three a.m., four a.m on that you know, Friday morning is just pretty crazy in itself. And uh, clearly the Ursay family and, you know, views him as, I mean, he, he's pretty much a brother, a son, however you want to describe it. I know his last name is not Ursay, but he pretty much is with the responsibility that they've given him. And he's probably earned, frankly, since they moved here in 1984. And, and, you know, it, you know, part of me was kind of listening to the call and thinking, you know, wh- why wouldn't the nurse just call? You know, 911, but obviously, you know, maybe she's been given instructions or whatever to let let Pete handle that. And that's kind of how that, that organization works. So, if, again, Pete Ward has got responsibility you know, right up there with Ursay. With and um, yeah, just hearing his voice and, you know, hearing him describe the scene and, you know, explaining to where police officers should go once they get into the property and all of that, there's a bit of eeriness to it. Uh, clearly, he felt. You know, I, I, good enough isn't the right phrase, but you know, clearly felt comfortable enough that you know Jim would be able to be fine until um, until the cops and the paramedics got there. But yeah, it was um, it was certainly eerie listening to it all. And um, Pete Ward is is a guy like Rick Fusen who retired earlier this week or announced his retirement. Um, those are two names that aren't Simon and Ursay in this market, but they have met a whole whole lot to those respective franchises
0: my mic that okay there we go sorry Kevin Uh, another guy within the franchise very high up obviously Chris Ballard I thought you had an interesting column uh and wanted you to be able to share with those that might not have seen it yet just kind of an overall assessment that you've done so far to the Chris Ballard era to this point
2: yeah it's an annual thing I do um pretty much late January every year where you get a couple weeks into the off season and I like to go back and you know, pretty much look at Ballard um, with that given season and then around uh, now seven years he's been a GM. And then same thing at head coach. Obviously, Frank Reich had been the guy for the past few years, but, you know, I'll, I'll post a Shane Steichen one early next week. And, you know, you, you lay out the good, you lay out the bad, you know, call it the wins, call it the losses, call it the to-be-determined with it. And, you know, I do think it's important to point out a couple of Ballard wins that I think certainly have transpired over the last 12 months. Um, one was, a, I, I think, taking a big, big swing uh, at quarterback, and now for the first time in January, uh, unlike the conversation either you or I have had, or certainly have had with other people in recent years, I have not felt this good about the franchise in quite a while because you know stopgap and Band-Aid QB doesn't get you very far. It certainly doesn't create anything for you long term. Um, so I think that is an important step that they took in that direction. And you know we've we've talked about it the premium positions and the lack of answers at those spots. The lack of finding those guys uh in his tenure. I do think they found one at left tackle. I think Bernard Ryman is that. I think he's shown enough in two years to make me believe that. I think it's a very Anthony Cassanzo like start to his career and you know, Ryman strikes as a guy while you know he, he was a bit of an older rookie. Um he can give you a, a really steady presence over at left tackle, you know, for the next X amount of years. So I do think those are a couple of wins you gotta point out. But then Certainly the losses and the to-be-determined stuff are there. Um, You know, he's invested gobs and gobs of draft picks defensively, and we're talking about a defense that's ranked you know, 28th in scoring each of the last two years. Um, The youth movement in the secondary, while he took blame for that a few weeks ago, you know, he, he didn't point this out, but I will point it out. The only reason why he felt it acceptable that the youth movement could be allowed is because, you know, largely his tenure has not gone according to plan. If failed might be too harsh of a term, but certainly hasn't gone well from a results standpoint through the first five years. That's why the Colts rebuilt, you know, last year, went down that path. And then lastly, just the January January results, really just kind of the hardcore facts. You know, the record is, what, 54-60-1, I think it is. You know, I think everybody pretty much knows these numbers. The two playoff appearances in seven years, the one playoff win, the zero division titles. Uh, so yeah, it, it's an annual article that I do, lay it out. Uh, it's on 107.5thefan.com and uh, it is certainly drawn a lot of a uh, lot of clicks, which I appreciate.
3: The fans own Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy, of course, as he alludes to there, his great work covering the Colts on 107.5thefan.com. KB, when you look at Chris Ballard and and in that piece highlighting the last seven years and then turning the clocks back forward to this year's outgoing or potentially outgoing free agent class led by Michael Pittman Jr., Kenny Moore, Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman. Is this the most difficult free agent class to manage in terms of pieces that might be outgoing and budgeting what you don't want to lose versus what you do want to lose in the Chris Ballard era?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really accurate statement. Um, I think it's yeah the most difficult. I mean, certainly you got north of seventy million, so you know in a in a way you have a hefty pool of cap space available to work with. But in terms of in house guys that you like that are going to garner, I think pretty decent interest on the open market. Yeah, I, I mean this is easily the best group of players that I think you know, are, are hitting free agency here in a month and a half. And obviously we'll see how the next six weeks play out. But basically, basically I've kind of labeled it like this, Jimmy. Um, you can stand on a table for guys, and then you can stand on a chair for guys. And I, I assume, you know, tables table higher than the chair, if you want to continue with that analogy. I think standing on the table um, would be the big four. And in some order, it's Michael Pittman Jr., it's Grover Stewart, it's Kenny Moore, and it's Julian Blackman you know, stand on the table, and, you know, I can certainly hear debates for all of these guys, but, you know, Gardner Minshew and Zach Moss and Taekwon Lewis and Rigoberto Sanchez, and all four of them have been varying degrees of contributors for you, you know, for multiple years or, you know, more so in Minshew and Moss's case, just really kind of one year. Um, So you think about those eight names, and again, they're in two different categories. If you start re-signing a chunk of them, Close to all of them. That's going to eat up a lot of your seventy million. So that's what the Colts are going to have to decide. They're probably going to have to make some decisions in-house on do you try and restructure some deals for Ryan Kelly or Braden Smith? Do is Mo Ali Cox have a future here? Um, you know, tight end and, and and how much money he's make uh, he is making right now. I, I think that's a question that you have to ask. So uh, yeah, I, I would say easily. Um, and, and really, it's based off just how quality of players are hitting the open market. That's why I think it's so difficult, because money, you got ton, tons of it. But there's so many of them that I think you should like and should look into bringing back. That's what makes it difficult.
0: Kevin, when you look at – Kevin Bowen is our guest here on Quarry & Company. When you look at the teams that are left standing, okay, and they're standing on a table at this point, I guess, right, because they're all solidly here in championship weekend, is there a – would you say that there's a definitive blueprint – on what gets you to this point, just in terms of the style of play of these four teams, you know, is it dangerous to get caught up in what other franchises are doing? And is Indianapolis, when you look at it, trying to go buy some sort of a mold or are they just simply going in their own way of what they think works and trying to build themselves to that point?
2: Yeah. I don't know if there's just like a blanket boom, here's the quality for all four of the teams. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at the NFC teams, you know, certainly in the quarterback play, you wouldn't call them like, you know, whatever, generational QBs by any means. I do think weapons are abound. Uh, you know, San Francisco's got multiple Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers on that offense, uh, specifically at the skill positions. In Detroit, if you look at it, they have invested big time into you know drafting a running back in the top fifteen last year, you know, taking Jameson Williams top ten, um, you know, taking Sam Laporte in the draft last year as a really high pick for a tight end, uh, basically saying, all right, Jared Goff, we will make sure that a la Brock Purdy a little bit, you know, you've got a pretty stock covered. You know, just and you manage whenever you use the word manager to describe a quarterback, it comes off negatively, but just kind of manage that operation and let guys, you know, show off their individual talents. Um, on the flip side, I, I think it's very fair to say you've got two just very generational quarterbacks in the and Lamar. So, yeah, yes, I mean, defensively, you know, a lot of these teams are sound, in particular the two AFC teams. Um, so, yeah, to answer it, I, I don't know if there's just one kind of blanket thing, but um, I don't think there's also just an obvious here's the cookie cutter to, you know, have great success. You can have success in different ways. I think there are some – you know, one or two areas that need to be really, really good. And that's the common theme with a lot of these teams. And it is probably quarterback play more than anything. But at the same time, I do think you have the different built teams here, you know, in the Final Four.
3: Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can find all his work on 1075thefan.com. Of course, hear him weekdays, seven ten a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kev, does the idea of trying to complement Anthony Richardson with – Additional talent and the hope of taking, I guess, the Jaguars approach like they did in the second season with Lawrence of surrounding him with talent. How much of that is, if at all, complicated with the relations of to tag or not to tag Michael Pittman Jr. versus getting an extension done with him? while also realizing, well, you could go in the draft, or you have, as you highlighted earlier, plenty of cap space to go splurge on another potential weapon. Where is that balancing act as you're mapping out the next couple of months when the offseason really gets going for the Colts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've long said that Pittman to me is just a no-brainer to bring back, just because... I, I. I don't think anyone has presented an alternative that makes any sort of sense for me. Um, I mean, unless you're, I don't know. So I'm out trading for Justin Jefferson and doing it in a relatively manageable way. I, I just have no idea how you continue to support Anthony Richardson, do it at a decent level um, and, and not have Pittman a part of those plans. Because again, I don't, I don't I don't view Calvin Ridley. I don't necessarily view, T Higgins necessarily is greatly improving that if those guys even hit free agency, which is a huge if. Um, you know, again, part of me looks at it and thinks, you know, certainly even if you bring back Pittman Jr., you still need to go out and do something of significance there. I think that's where you get into the draft, and, and that's where, you know, ultimately you're going to have to find some rookie contract impact. And you know, when you look at this year's draft class, you know, injuries certainly stunted the first two picks, but you're going to need some Josh Downs type of guys on the horizon. Um, I mean, Jake knows this more than anybody. Obviously, Peyton and Edge was a huge, huge part of everything, and Marvin Harrison and Tarik Glenn were in place. But if you don't draft Dwight Freeney, if you don't draft Reggie Wayne, if you don't draft Dallas Clark, if you don't find Robert Mathis in the fifth round, you don't have the greatest era uh, in NFL history like you did. So subsequent drafts have got to be there. Um, You know, Frank Reich made the playoffs in his first year. Chuck Pagano made the playoffs. In his first year, you didn't sustain at that level because you didn't draft well and you didn't continue to keep the covered stock in years after that, among other things. Um, So, when I look at Pittman, yeah, he's an important piece to bring back. Uh, He can't be the end all be all of it. There there needs to be more. And, you know, honestly, the draft is going to be a big, big part of it, even though that is the unknown because you just don't know, you know, who those guys are going to be, you know, come April and in future drafts beyond.
3: Do you get there's a sense of a certain archetype? Of wide receiver, they would most want or covet in this year's draft, whether it's a deep threat, whether it's an additional possession guy, whether it's somebody that can operate in the slot. Is there one piece where you look at it and say, well, if they could find this type of guy, that would really benefit Anthony Richardson, both short term and long term?
2: It's a good question. Um, You know, this time last year, to me, the answer was obvious it was that slot guy. You know, I think you and I have had this conversation before, Jimmy. I thought, Chris Ballard had kind of fallen too much into the power forwards and centers in his wide-out room. And it's like, well, you know, at some point you need a point guard. At some point you need a little shooting guard. And that's, I think, what Josh Downs is. Now, again, Debo Samuel is a very rare, rare player. But that type of player I think should be kind of the goal. And by that I mean this. Here's the ball. You go make a play with it. You know, can you go get us 10 yards after a little eight-yard completion? Can you break a tackle and make a play like that? You know, at times, I think Pittman and Downs especially um, showed they can do it, but the key word there is at times. I I don't think they're necessarily consistent elite guys in that area, So that would be – and they come in all different shapes and sizes, to be fair. Um, You know, Debo Samuel is not necessarily the exact mold from a stature standpoint that, you know, a lot of people would fall in love with at wideout. Um, so again, I, I think it's somebody that can play make with the ball in their hands. Um, you know, again, the cookie cutter aspect. I I don't think it's like an obvious uh, you know, height, weight, speed sort of standpoint. Um, a lot of it's just you know pretty innate ability to the you know withstand contact and you know great lateral quickness and and things like that. Again, Alex Pierce, I don't he to me is just strictly a vertical guy. He he doesn't really bring that to the table. So yeah, that would be the avenue that I would look
0: into kevin you think the roster is good enough at this point and where they're drafting where you know every team kevin bowen our guest every team says this it always cracks me up well you know we just go with uh we we, the board went exactly as we thought in the draft and you know we just went with uh the guy that we thought was the best player Are, are they truly at the situation now where their roster is strong enough across the board where they can simply go best player available Let's say after round one, or do they still specifically have areas that they're like all else gets pushed aside, and we got to narrow in here?
2: No, and, and I would probably say that for every team, but certainly the Colts are not one of those teams. And, and you know, to agree with you there, Jake, yeah, I couldn't agree more. The if, best if QB is the best guy on the board when you get to fifteen, you can draft the quarterback. You know, if if, if running back is the best position on the board or the best player on the board come the 15th overall I think you're going to draft a running back no so i've always viewed it as what are your needs how do you tier the needs if you've got three positions that are on tier one which i think in a way you could look at the colts and say all right pass catcher you know edge rusher and cornerback you know i think you could slot all those maybe on one tier then as long as it's close i i would certainly you know draft one of those positions and i think a lot of things go into it Okay, where's the depth in this draft class? If you don't have a big separation over wide receiver three on your board and defensive end two, but you have a huge separation in defense, you label defensive end four as a fifth round pick, whereas wide receiver four, you'd label him as like the 23rd pick, then go ahead and draft the DN there and rely on the draft depth to find a wideout. And when we bring up guys like Devo Samuel or Terry McLaurin or you know, DK Metcalf, those are all guys that were drafted outside of round one there. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the Colts have a roster that is in a position for that. And I do think you need to draft off of, you know, marrying the best, positional need and best player available, marry the best and uh, pick away.
3: Kevin, if it was Brock Bowers there at 15, Jake and I had this discussion earlier in the week, and I'm with him to some extent on. Maybe it feels like they have an idea of what they'd like to see out of Will Mallory, and maybe they they like that group and there's so much more pressing needs. They don't go that way. But if it was a guy like Brock Bowers, that would seem like to fit, in theory, as he develops, the Dallas Goddard mold of a do-it-all, set-it-and-forget-it type of tight end that you would like to have in a Shane Steichen offense. So let's just narrow it down specifically. If Brock Bowers was there at 15 Does he fit the category in your mind of, well, yeah, he's probably best available and let's take him, or, well, we have some other guys we might want to see still what we have and there's more important needs on our board?
2: To me, he's too unique, and it's pass catcher and it's direct support to Richardson. So I would go ahead and feel comfortable, totally comfortable taking him there. Um, I understand that people would probably disagree with that. You know, I think tight end is really interesting how Ballard views it. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think Ballard mentioned that position at all in his press conference a couple weeks ago. And when you look at it, Ballard has actually invested a decent amount into tight ends, like draft-wise. I mean, he drafted Jelani Woods in round three, he drafted Kylan Granson in round four, even round five and six, and Will Mallory and Drew Ogletree. If if you look at tight ends, I mean, hell, look at the tight ends playing this weekend. I mean, you know this, Jimmy. Where was Kelsey drafted? Round three. Uh, Where was George Kittle drafted? Round five. You know, Mark Andrews was round three. Um, so, you know, a lot of those guys, I know Sam Laporta was early in round two, but, you know, a lot of these high-level tight ends, you know, you can find them in other areas of the draft. So, again, Al Ballard views tight end like big picture is interesting to me because, you know, if you do want to save a handful of million and cut ties with Alley Cox and then, you know, if Drew Ogletree's legal process plays out for it, he's no longer here, now all of a sudden you go into next year and your three tight ends are Jelani Woods coming off the, the – you know, missing the entire season – And, you know, Kylan Granson and Will Mallory. And Granson is not really kind of that, you know, obvious big basketball player, tight end, body type there. So, again, tight end's an interesting one to me. But, uh, yes, because it's Richardson, because it's a pass catcher, uh, because he dominated the SEC at a very, very high level, I'd be totally comfortable taking Bowers there.
0: Kevin Bowen, our guest. Um, Kevin – I got to know your son that predicted NFL game. What is, what was his final record for your son's predictions of Colts games?
2: Um, were they nine and eight? I think he was twelve and five. Yeah, yeah okay. twelve and five. Uh-huh. So, but so he, he far better
0: three games ahead of the team then, right? Correct.
2: And if you bet ten dollars and, and and just money lined it all year long with his picks, you would have made I, I believe I added up. I think it was about fifty one or fifty two dollars.
1: Wow.
0: Okay. Um, now the other question is this, will he do this for the conference championship matchups?
2: Um, no, but he did get an uh, inquiry from that, L- that former LSU whiteout. He wanted to know if he could hear some of his picks to tap to, um, to into <laughs> the gambling that, <laughs> that he has done. Uh, I thought I was just going to wait until the Super Bowl, but you know what? If I get really bored this weekend, I'm now looking at these helmets here. I, I should probably uh, I should probably see if I can drum up. In- I mean, some of these helmets he's never seen. I mean, Lions and 49ers, he's got no idea. So That Lions um, helmet's yeah, pretty
0: all- sweet, man. I, I mean, if he's... The Lions have great helmets, right?
2: What? Uh, how would you rank the helmets? I know this is right. Ro- ro- I mean, this couldn't be more of a Jake question, okay. but how would, you, how would you rank the Final Four helmets?
0: Thank you. Lions would be number one. Sorry, Jimmy. You got the silver. <laughs> now, the Lions, when they had Bubbles the Lion, that looked like he was playing with Bubbles before they added the ferocious Griffin-looking Lion. But I still say Lions number one because I love the silver. Um I do like the Raven. I'm not going to lie, and I like the, the 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 black look to it. But mm-hmm. the Niners are so classic. So Niners two, Ravens three, and Chiefs four. Your thoughts? Are, are you crinkling up a bag of, of Doritos in the background? I'm,
2: well, no, I'm scrambling through the helmet bag. All right, I got. Oh, gotcha. Sorry about that. Okay. I, I was hoping that the mic wouldn't wouldn't pick that up. Um, yeah, I got all four. I'm looking at all four right now. Boy, these are some good looking helmets. I know. You know they like, jimmy when the chiefs play i feel like you know it's outdoors it's dirty you don't just get a good clean looking chief's helmet that's a beautiful it is a good helmet, helmet for
0: sure i mean the chiefs that's are on the short it. end here just because of who they're up against
2: yeah uh, i'm gonna go 49ers i love the i just love that gold look um yeah i'll go 49ers one lions two ravens three and, and jimmy I'll, I'll i'll round it out with with your chiefs
3: yeah, uh, Lions, Chiefs, Niners, Ravens. Lions are number uh, Jimmy, one for you. Like... Yeah, Lions yeah. number one. Yeah, I really like the the silver and blue. Yeah, it's good. Yeah,
2: Jimmy, I am. Uh, I'm very confident in the Ravens this weekend.
3: Very confident, you... like like confident enough to, to lay four. Confident, isn't there four point favorites to bring us back into degeneracy?
2: Has it ri- risen up to four? Yes. Really. Yeah. Um yeah I think I am no, I mean not that you care not that you should I mean yeah I'm not max Bowen here not that you should you know have any care in it but <laughs> I don't know I just i I don't like the injury report for your chiefs I don't like uh, I think Baltimore's getting healthy I, I don't act like Kansas City's like incredibly hurt but um and I just think the whiteouts can't do what they did in Buffalo for a second straight week. Uh,
3: that's a fair thought uh, to not waste the listeners time they have not the Ravens defense have not played a quarterback like Mahomes all year. And I would contend outside of maybe the Browns, this is the best secondary they've faced all year. So I think it's going to be a great game.
2: Well, that was a shot at Gardner Minshew. Um, Sorry, Gardner. He's
3: on his way out anyway. Someone's going to give him $9 million. He's going to be fine.
0: Gardner Minshew next year. Last question. Gardner Minshew next year. Jimmy Cook. Top of your head, gut instinct. Gardner Minshew is on what roster next year? Go. Boom. Bears. Eddie Garrison. Gardner Minshew next year is on the roster. Boom. Go. Colts. Safe pick. Kevin Bowen, next year. Gardner Minshew, boom, go. Huh? Patriots. Ooh, that's nice. I, I'm down with that. That's cool. I'll go with uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not as a starter. Back up Baker Mania. Kevin, enjoy the games. Enjoy the weekend, all right? Always have a great weekend. Kevin Bowen, uh, of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney. The wake-up call with KB and Andy.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: Hey Razor, Here, Bruce Schumacher, how are you? What's up, Shu? Hey, Thank I'm doing you. well. I am doing well. This September, we want to bring you back to Indianapolis for Razor Shine's weekend at Victory Field, and with your permission, we'd like to retire your uniform number three.
1: Oh, 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 my goodness. First of all, let me say, that, that that's quite an honor. And secondly, shoo, you have my permission. My, my family <laughs> would love nothing more.
0: Coming to the plate for your Indians, third baseman, number three, Razor Shines. In 2009, Maxim Magazine said that our next guest had, quote, the most badass name in the history of sports which is hard to argue, spent nine seasons with the Indianapolis Indians in his baseball career and became an absolute fan favorite at Bush Stadium. Razor Shines, whose number will be, re- will be retired, as you just heard, this season joins us on the show. Razor, it is a thrill, man. How are you? Congratulations.
1: I am wonderful. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: So the first question I've got to ask is, What was the reaction? We heard the call when Bruce Schumacher, the Indianapolis Indians, called you to let you know that in the 121 years' history of that famed baseball franchise, Jackie Robinson, of course, has his number retired by all baseball teams, as he should for his breaking the color barrier, but the Indianapolis Indians have never retired a jersey until number three. What was your reaction once it really sank in?
1: Well, you know, it it hasn't sank in yet excuse me. My reaction is, first of all, I've, I've never in my life been lost for words. And I guess it's true. What they say is always the first time for some things. So I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. Um, I'm still kind of out there wondering, you know, is this real? Am I dreaming? You know? So I'm, I'm, First of all, man, I I I really don't know right now what I feel. Um, Everybody in Indianapolis has been so great to me. Uh, The fans, um, the Schumacher family, Max especially. He's 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 been he's been more than a general manager. He's he's been a father figure to me. Um, There's nothing that I ever wanted in Indianapolis that that man wouldn't get get for me, and um, for them to do this to me. Uh, to retire my jersey number, um, it's mind-boggling to me. I, I still hadn't grasped it yet.
0: You know, I'm curious of this, Razor. When you were a player, and, and I, I had mentioned this to you, you know, I I grew up in Indianapolis and, you know, the not-whole gang and playing Little League ball and going down, yeah. and, and the Indians were such a big part, for not just me, but a lot of people listening, were such a big part of our summer still are for people here in town and you were such an iconic figure with that you know like I said earlier your name wasn't Robert it wasn't you know it was razor right and and on top of that being a great player and becoming a beloved figure here but I have to go back and think to myself for you was there kind of a dichotomy of emotion there because you have this love affair with this city but in reality it's a city that you're trying to springboard away from because you're trying to get to the big leagues. How did you battle kind of that emotion of being this beloved figure but also knowing that it was with a fan base that you were hoping to be able to graduate from?
1: Well, first of all, you know, as a a minor league baseball player, his goal or her goal, whoever it may be, is to be a major league player. That's what they came into the game to do. And along the way, things happened. you know, you, 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 you go to a city, um, not only do you fall in love with the city, you fall in love with everything. Um, the broadcaster, Howard Kelman, man, what a guy. Um, the writers at the time, uh, Kim Rogers, um, Cal Burleson. I mean, everything there was unbelievable. And they treated me so nice. So when there was things to be done for the not whole kids or a clinic to be held or someone to go speak, I wanted to do that because everybody was so good to me. And um, I, I don't think that was a question. I don't, I don't think that's one of the things that that kept me from, you know, wanting to think about wanting to springboard to the major leagues because if that happened, that would have been great. That that was what I was, you know, hoping for as a kid, a lifelong dream. And it, and it happened. You know, I did. I got the opportunity to go to the major leagues. And it was everything they talked about. But it wasn't home. Home was in Indianapolis. Um, that's where my family was. That's where everybody I knew seemed to be and it was hard leaving there and i i just don't know how to put that in words but indianapolis is now home for me always has been
0: and with that when you look back on it razor and i know now for for those that are unfamiliar get us caught up to speed here you're living in orlando correct
1: that is correct we relocated from texas And we live in Orlando, Florida. Because you had a vast,
0: you know, both playing and managerial career within baseball after your time in Indianapolis. Are you away from the game totally now and retired, or are you still dabbling in different things?
1: Well, I am away from the game and retired professionally. But I do have a grandson and a granddaughter that plays. And I am going to coach their team, so as long as I'm able to do it. And I enjoy watching them play. I'm glad to be around it just to see that they love it the way I did. And that's probably
0: as fun as managing Charlotte or any of the other teams, right? It's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet, right? But, but when you yeah. do that, so you're in Orlando, and you're sitting around, and, and, and you start reminiscing, and you reminisce about Indianapolis, and whether it be one of the American Association titles or you know 84, 85, one of the, but you start just thinking about all of it. What things, even aside from baseball, what do you miss about Indy? What are the things about Indianapolis that you most loved or enjoyed? And what was life like for Razor Shines
1: in the mid-80s? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. Life in the mid-80s. We'll start there. It was, it was unbelievable. It was the best time of my life. Um, I met my wife in the mid-80s. I married my wife in the mid-80s. And I'm still married today. So, first of all, you know, that, that, that was unbelievable. Um, Indianapolis, you know, it, it, my friends, the Dallas Williams, um, Alonzo Powell, all those guys lived there, you know. It, it was like a family affair. I mean, it wasn't just a place to live during the summer while you played baseball. We lived there in the off season. We worked there with J and J Distributors. We worked there with Musing Oil. We did things uh, as a as a unit, as a family, and Indianapolis was a big part of that.
0: So wait, so you had jobs outside of baseball?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, so tell <laughs> me, so what was Razor Shine doing in December of 1984, or like in the off season? He was driving
1: an oil truck for Musing Oil.
0: (laughs) Okay, hold on. So how often did you – so you're driving an oil truck around town, right? So you're sitting at a stoplight at like, you know, 16th and Capitol in an oil truck. Were people ever like, wait a minute, your razor shines?
1: Well, people did not do that while I was driving my truck, but I have went to homes and filling up people's oil tanks and I've gotten that are you are you, are you razor shine <laughs> I've
0: gotten that yes did you ever stop and like throw ball in the front yard with a kid or something when you're stopping to do
1: a delivery <laughs> no because it was too much ice and snow i mean i was trying to wrap up
0: <laughs> i guess i guess you're right in the winter time you're probably right right
1: <laughs> exactly
3: <laughs> razor jake led off the conversation with the piece from maxim in 2009 your name getting declared the most badass name of all time. Objectively speaking, I think we all agree it most definitely is.
1: But it's also a family name, right? That is correct. Uh, it's my son's middle name. It's his son's middle name, and it's it's just part of the Shannons family. What it's, is the what's know, the
0: origin of it? Who was the first Razor? Uh, my father. And was that a nickname? I mean your name is Anthony Shines. but like so was Razor a nickname that was given to him or was did was it he It was his
1: middle it was my father's middle name and um they named my middle name at the time was Ray R instead of Razor. And um it just happened. It just I became Razor. So my son's middle name had to be Razor. Uh-huh. And, his, and his son's middle name is Razor. So that's the life we live. Now,
0: I don't recall this, Razor. Razor Shine's our guest, the Indianapolis Indians legend. His number will be retired by the Indians at the end of this upcoming baseball season, number three. I don't recall this, but did you get like a Bic or Gillette advertising marketing deal during your playing days? Because if not, like lots of people should be fired.
1: (laughs) No, sir. That that didn't come about. The hell? it, it, It did not. And it's okay. I mean, I was I wasn't I was just in there having fun, playing baseball, and just making kids smile. I mean, to see a kids you know go out and you're playing pickup ball with kids, and all of a sudden the kid says, "I'm Razor." I mean, you, I can't explain to you how that made me feel inside to know that they felt that way about me. Razor,
3: there's always a chance of getting lied to by the internet. So since I have you here, I can ask you as the first hand source. Were you a spokesperson for Aquafina back in two thousand nine Is that is that true? That is correct. And they had the third base coach of life.
1: That is correct. And I was the third base coach of the New York Mets at the time. Right, point.
3: right. Were, do, you, do you still give out life advice? Do people still come at you and ask the third base
0: coach of life for help.
1: <laughs> no, those days are over. <laughs> now listen,
0: Razor. I don't know how yep. you could be, and it's great that, that you did marketing for Aquafina, but how did you not do it for Aqua Velva? I mean, where, <laughs> like, where are these people, right? <laughs> I mean, we should have hooked up a long time ago. Hey, I want to read you something that somebody just sent me, Razor Shines, because I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. Jake, I'm 44. Razor was my childhood hero. My eight-year-old son is a baseball nut. I have an autographed ball from Razor Shines that got signed when I was my son's age. The signature's a little faded, but it's currently sitting on display in my son's room,
1: right above his bat. That's pretty cool, wow. isn't it? That is really cool, and and and, and that, that warms my heart. That that's cool.
0: How often do you make it back to Indianapolis? And you know, for your kids, your grandkids, do they do they understand what this city means to Razor?
1: Uh, my grandkids do not yet. But my kids do my my daughter and and my um son they both understand what the city means to us we lived there they grew up there um stayed there so long man it was fun it was understandable that Indianapolis was home and when we moved somewhere else Indianapolis was called home for them.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
0: What's the first place you like to go to when you come back other than the ballpark? There had to be like a restaurant that you loved back in the day or, you know, like, I don't know, if you, maybe just like get in an oil truck and drive around town. Uh, what,
1: <laughs> what comes back for you? Well... You know the the thing I like most now is is um it was a mom and pops barbecue and I can't remember how to get there, but I could drive there every day if I had to when I was in in Indianapolis, um back in the day and those barbecue reels were some kind of good. I mean, okay, I so got-
0: it might have been Zeb's. Zeb's was big back then. King Ribs was big back then. I don't know if it was either one of those. It, it was
1: not. It okay. was because because it was it was up in a it, it was up in a uh an area of town that wasn't one of the most livable areas in town right but the barbecue my wife got tired of eating those ribs i can tell you <laughs> uh
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> even in december exactly.
0: when you, it's it's hard driving an oil truck through the drive-through is the only problem there right <laughs> uh a couple other things razor shines our guest um Razor, let's go to when you're going to go out there and and the retirement's going to take place. Um, I'm curious of this. When you go back and you look and you see, and you would have to be, I would think, one of few players that would be a player where they look up in a stadium and the only two numbers retired are yours and that of Jackie Robinson. Knowing Jackie Robinson's contribution to the game, Knowing you being a man of color in Indianapolis in the eighties, which I mean it wasn't Indianapolis of the fifties, but this is a city with its own history that can be ugly at times. What does that mean
1: to you? It 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 means a lot. First of all, it means that, you know, errors change. You know, and 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 people change. And I'm I'm just I'm just excited to, to to be associated with a place like Indianapolis. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's home. It's always going to be home. Even though I may live somewhere else and raise my kids in another city, Indianapolis is where it all started for me. And I, I enjoy playing at all the spots that I play that stops along the way, from A-ball to high A, double A, triple A. But there was nothing like Indianapolis, nothing. That the, the relationship with the fans, the communities, uh, everything was outstanding. And we had, obviously, the best GM in, in all of baseball. And I'm going to believe that until to the end of the road.
0: Talking about Max Schumacher, his family. Bruce Schumacher now still the one that gave you the call, so still the owners of the Indianapolis Indians yep. Kyle Burleson still you know involved in the franchise Howard Kelman who you'd mentioned so you know a lot of old friends and Kim Rogers known as Kimmer by those that know him that still uh, works in in helping out in you know the box scores and and everything else Razor listen
1: all, go ahead first of all Cal is no longer with us
0: that, you he know is. what I'm sorry I did know that he passed away was it 2 years ago
1: I, I don't exactly remember the time but he it, it, what a good person I just want to make sure that that's on record. Great man.
0: And he um, he was with the franchise all the way. I believe you know. I mean, he stayed on and worked his way all the way up through the franchise. Obviously, and was a major part of it. And the highest ranking lieutenant that was not a Schumacher, essentially, is the best way to say it, right? Along with Howard Gelman, obviously. You know, that
1: is correct. Hey, that is correct.
0: Razor, listen, I, I can't tell you what a thrill it is. You know when and. When you do what I do for a living and you're a sports talk host in your hometown, you get the privilege of talking to different athletes and, you know, from different walks and some of them Hall of Famers and champions and everything else. Um, But I don't know that any's as big a thrill because I, I just spent so many nights at Bush Stadium and like so many kids in Indianapolis just to be able to come down and try to get an autograph or catch a foul ball. And you were the one consistent man. I mean, you were the one consistent that we knew. Um... Back then, the 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 Pacers let us down from time to time, and we didn't have an NFL team yet. But the one thing that was reliable is that we'd see Mister Dan's in center field, and Razor Shines might hit a ball that lands near it, and it was just always fun, man. It's been a thrill.
1: Oh, well, I thank you so much for that. Um, I, you know, it it's, it's man, it's hard for me right now to to. To talk about Indianapolis because it, it it brings back so many great memories and it, it 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 I know this sounds funny for a guy that's big and strong and 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 never weak. I didn't think I was, but it brings tears to my eyes and and those are not tears that that are weak tears. Those are tears of of, of pure happiness and it ma- it makes me feel pretty good and I don't want people to. Um, think that those tears are are anything other than joyful tears.
0: Well, a lot of joy for a lot of people and it's going to be a lot of fun when you come back and you get the honor that is well deserved and I look forward to seeing it and I know a lot of people do, Razor, and uh, I am certainly thrilled to be able to share that news with everybody today and to be able to have you on the program and what's a busy day, I appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for us.
1: I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much and Really, what you do for the city, I know I'm not the only one who appreciate that. Thank you.
0: I appreciate it. Razor Shines, the legend of the Indianapolis Indians.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
3: Conference Championship Weekend in the NFL. Few better to talk to than the eight-year NFL offensive lineman himself. Great follow on Twitter, all football season, all year long, really, at Jeff Schwartz. Of course, you can hear him on see him and hear him on Fox Sports and hear him on Sirius XM NFL. Jeff, appreciate the time as always. Thank you for making a window for us through Conference Championship Weekend. We'll get right to it with myself. I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan. Jake knows that. You don't know that, but now you do. Kansas City wins if what, or is Baltimore just too balanced on both sides and, and the, the ride
5: this year ends here? Good question. Um, I think I think two things have to happen. One is the Ravens have to turn the ball over a bunch. So the Chiefs, you know, they pressure Jackson and, and force a couple bad throws and maybe a fumble, which obviously is tough to always predict. But, you know, that, that has to happen. And then, I don't know, man, they need some wide receiver to step up. Um, I feel very comfortable that uh, the Ravens will take away Kelsey. So, someone else. Um, Is it Rice? Is it MVS? Is it – I mean, Sky Moore, I think, is active. Someone someone has to step up in the pass game.
0: Jeff, when you look at these four teams, which one – because – so many factors can come into play over the course of a game weather conditions field conditions etc of the four teams that are left remaining which one has the most across the board balance that allows them if one area of the game goes south for them to still make up for it elsewhere
5: oh it's baltimore i mean baltimore to me if they win this game um they win the super bowl i actually think the afc wins they are winning the super bowl um so i would think that it's probably baltimore the way they play defense and Lamar and run the football. I mean, it's got to be the Ravens. You know the the. It's interesting about
0: because the you know Lamar Jackson is so dynamic. I think that we we hone in on that, and then defensively, I to me Baltimore just that's always been their reputation, right, Jeff? Like like I think people think that Baltimore gets oversold on their defense because of reputation, and then you remind yourself, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis ain't there anymore. But it is still, if you could take through for our listeners defensively, what Baltimore does that makes Kansas City face such a big challenge here?
5: They're just really good everywhere. They don't have a weakness. Like sometimes that's as simple as is an answer, right? Like wh- where are you attacking them? Are you like, oh, we'll run the football? Okay, well, good luck with their D tackles and their linebackers. Oh, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll pass the ball. We'll look at their secondary. I mean. And I think that's what makes them so balanced, and that's what makes teams balanced, right? It's not just that. Sometimes, also, well, he's a good quarterback, of course, but sometimes it's less about you know the the things you're good at, and more about your weaknesses, right? Like if Baltimore, I, I think Kyle Hamilton's an all-pro, but I don't think anyone else in that defense is. I mean, Humphrey has been, I believe, at a time, but he was hurt this season. Like they don't have a, a decorated defense per se, right? They just have really good football players all over the place and that is sometimes more important than having you know a, a four defenders on the all pro team and then having a terrible secondary right um and and I'm going to make sure I got that right about the all pro thing but like they're just they're um yeah uh, uh, Rocco was all pro too they're just really good everywhere you know and it makes it really hard to play this team because there's not much of away- weakness. and the Mike McDonald, their, their, their D.C. Is, is just excellent. Um, and so they're just a good football team, man. And the two things you need most, in my opinion, to win Super Bowls is, is elite quarterback play and a really physical uh, team. And they have both of that.
3: Longtime offensive lineman and current host and analyst for Sirius XM NFL and Fox Sports, Jeff Schwartz is our guest. Jeff, a year ago, and I understand offensively Kansas City's a different team, but a year ago in the Super Bowl, everybody pointed to the talented Eagles defense, and I don't want to get into a bait of, well, are the Eagles or Ravens, this year's Ravens, better, but it was that first 15. The first 15, the game script being so important as being a tone setter for Kansas City how critical is that on the road in Baltimore, regardless if they get the ball first or not? The first fifteen that Andy Reid's able to cook up against McDonald in that defense.
5: When you're about the Super Bowl it really was like the second half, right? It was all those they figured out that when the Eagles, um, when the Chiefs would motion a guy sort of pass from number one into number two, basically that the the Eagles would try to switch that off, right? And they caught him twice on that on for you know, that, that that same sort of concept. The Ravens aren't going to be caught doing that, right? Um, and I think that's a, a big part of this. You're not going to be, in my, in my opinion, any reason not not going to out-coach him like McDonald, right? like McDonald. is is an elite defensive coordinator. And so you have to just find ways for your guys to make plays, right? And those guys are, again, I mean, is it MVS? Is it... Pacheco, is it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? You know, your offensive line, it's probably without Joe Tooney. It left, it left guard. That's a huge loss. He's the best offensive lineman. So there's just a lot of things, against stacking up against them. But, look, it's the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, Indy Reed, like, counting them out feels silly to me. But this – look, they've played, I think, six, right? Six – sorry, it's a championship game. Outside of maybe the first one, they have not been – the least talented of the two teams playing the game. Um, and they are this week. They, they just are. And, and that's okay to admit. But the Chiefs defense guy is really good. And if the Chiefs defense is able to play the way that they can play. then I think this game is much closer because, you know, what, what's Baltimore going to do if you take away their passing game? Yeah, they can run the ball, I guess. But this is not the Texans defense, right? I mean, in the middle, you got Gay and Bolton and Chris Jones up the middle. Like, she's got some, some legit guys on defense. So, I think the Chiefs have to win this game, honestly, with their defense. Jeff,
0: when we in Indianapolis assess the football season, you know, you look at conference championship weekend, and it's easy to say, well, the Colts were close because they were, you know, they got down to the, the final weekend of playoff potential, and, and obviously, you know, you saw what happened. From an outside perspective, as somebody who knows the league, how yeah. close are the Indianapolis Colts and what is the area for you that would give you pause to saying that they can be a step away from being elite?
5: Well, I mean the Texans Ravens game I think is a good example of sort of how far the gap sometimes is between an elite team to a really good team, right? I mean the my takeaway from the Texans is like that was a good test for your team. Uh, to To see you know, to see what you have to do to be better to beat the Ravens and I think the Colts look at it the same way like we have to look at our roster and think how do look you're not going to you know beat the Chiefs by having a better quarterback so you have to find a way to okay is it is it defense is it is it offense like how do, how do we find ways to have advantage over Kansas City because they're they you know they're the lead dogs so or the Ravens as well I think the Colts biggest question right now is is not if Anthony Richardson is good or not, but how good is he, right? Because that – he only played – was it five games this year he played? The five he played this year? Yeah, and I don't believe um, he's,
0: he finished – I don't think he finished any game he started.
5: Yeah, so that, that to me, is the biggest question. Right? I mean, look, the team to be where they are with Gardner Minshew was very impressive because Minshew, to me, is like the the perfect backup, right? he He's great if he has to play one or two games, but the whole season, you get a lot of up and a lot of down, right? Yeah. Um, and so you got, you got both of that and a lot of games this season with them. So the team obviously is well-coached. Um, when you have a backup quarterback and you're close to a playoff spot, that means you're well-coached. But to me, it's, it's Richardson, right? It's like, how, how good is he going to be? Because Stroud obviously is good. And you, you really, you rarely get two quarterbacks in the class that are elite. It's just, it's just, it's rare to see, right? A lot of times it's one guy, maybe one guy's good. And then there's a bust or two. So, it would defy the odds that Richardson was, was that guy, but that to me is the is it, right? Like if Richardson is, is that guy, then you're gonna be a competitor each and every season. If he's not, then you won't be. And I think mean, there were signs this year that Richardson did some really good things on the field. And I mean, think that, that that's it's all about finding, you know, out who Richardson is in, in this next season. And you have to try to hit when the iron's hot because of the salary cap, right? And and paying a young quarterback. So they really got to figure this out you know, pretty quickly and then move on from there.
3: Jeff, is there anything from the 49ers' struggles at times against the Green Bay Packers that the Detroit Lions can exploit or take away from? Or was it just, hey, that was a yucky game against an opponent that knows you well and Debo Samuel goes down in that game? Is there anything that popped out on film where you're like, hey, Detroit could do this and we might have a game on our hands?
5: I tend to lean toward um, the Niners' performance itself was pretty yucky, but I don't think that really uh, means much for the Lions. I think the Niners play better, but the Lions, look, and it means a high-scoring game. Both defenses have their warts, right? The Lions are terrible at defending the pass. They've allowed 140 yards down five, uh, so 140 yards to a single wide receiver in five straight games. Um, the Niners can't stop the run. The Lions want to run the football. But you kind of have both teams vying back and forth. Um, The weather's going to be good, so we should expect to see a good Brock Purdy. The the Debo thing is big, man, because the Niners have, have been a much different offense when Debo's not in the game. And so if he plays, I think you look at a better Niners team. If he doesn't, I think it's a problem. But I think we'll see Brock Purdy just play better in general. I don't think that's exactly who he is last week. I don't think he's Joe Montana either, like somewhere, somewhere in the middle <laughs> between, you know, the, the the best quarterback of all time and, and, and a schmo. So I think we'll see better Brock Purdy. He won't play that bad this week, I don't think.
3: He's Jeff Swartz, eight-year NFL offensive lineman. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Swartz. And, of course, find his coverage on NFL And at Fox Sports has a great NFL championship weekend preview up there right now. Jeff, thank you for the time. Enjoy conference championship weekend.
5: Take care, guys. Thank you. Have a good weekend.